John chapter 19. While you're turning there, I'll tell you what the remainder of the evening is going to look like. The remainder of this hour is going to unfold like this. We are going to spend a little bit of time in the Word. After that, we're going to look at a short video, which you have seen before. Most of you have anyway. But frankly, I've never found another one that I like better. And so we're going to look at it again tonight as we conclude the message. And then at the conclusion of that video, I'm going to ask uh, one of the elders, Don, I think I'm going to ask you uh, to just come to the front, and he and I will stand here, and uh, we're going to uh, uh, conclude with communion as we do so many times uh, on Good Friday. And uh, we do it differently on Good Friday, just really just to be different from our normal way of doing it, uh, but that's what we'll do. And uh, if you wish to partake of communion tonight, as soon as... The service or the uh, the sermon concludes, and I pray, and the video concludes, and we come here to s- just step out. The musicians will come, and they'll be playing. Just step to the front. You can take communion right here. You can take it back to your seat and sit for a while. However you wish to do it, uh, we just want it to be uh, a little bit different tonight. But either way, once you've taken communion at the end there, then uh, the service will be com- concluded for you, and you can leave uh, as as you wish. But I want you to leave quietly. I emphasize the word quietly. Because as I mentioned a while ago, we're a very friendly church, and that's a wonderful characteristic, but tonight I think quiet is a better thing. We're thinking about the death of our Savior on the cross. So I'm going to ask you, when you do leave tonight, please refrain from talking until you get all the way to the parking lot. Otherwise, it'll still come up in here, and people will still be partaking and participating, and it'll... Interrupt. So that's the plan for the rest of the hour. The Bible, a video, communion passed out from the front, and then finally a quiet exit. So let's read from John chapter 19. We're going to read the chapter, starting in verse number 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! 
Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They, they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. Father, guide us as we look at these verses, as we look at this event. Speak to us. Fill me with your spirit. Enable us to see it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us tonight to think about this passage of Scripture and to think about the cross in three different ways. First of all, I want us to remember the cross. Secondly, I want us to mourn for the cross. And thirdly, I want us to celebrate the cross. Let's think about those three different perspectives 
this evening. First of all, we remember the cross, and we're going to remember it very graphically at the conclusion of the service this evening as we take communion. Jesus, when he commanded us to take the bread and drink the wine on a regular basis, said that in so doing, we were remembering his death, we were remembering the cross, and so we have that reminder. We have a reminder hanging on the wall behind me that we look at every single Lord's Day of the cross as well. We remember. After all, it is quite a story, isn't it? A man who lived a perfect life was nailed to a cross where he died. A man who only helped others came to a point where those he came to help turned against him. A man who just a few short days earlier had been hailed as a king and a conqueror was now rejected by those very same people. What a story. This man, Jesus, was tried illegally, by the way, scourged, beaten terribly. Verse number one, we read that. Mocked cruelly. We saw that in verses two and three. Condemned by the very people he came to save. Verses 6 through 15. Condemned to death on a cross. Verse number 16. Left hanging with nails and feet pierced for three hours. And then finally, he died. And notice, notice, he wasn't killed. Or rather, he just died. It's, it's such a vital distinction. He said, it is finished. And then he voluntarily gave up his spirit in verse number 30. What a story. Amazing story. One time earlier, Jesus had prophesied that he would lay down his life. He said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. In another place, he referenced laying down his life and indicated that it was done for others. His friends. He said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends in John fifteen thirteen. So not only did he give his life, not only did he lay it down on the cross, but he did so for others. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Amazing story. And I know that some find it ridiculous. I know that some find it foolish, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God, Paul told the Corinthians. Some find it offensive. I know that. Paul said, I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. Galatians 5.11. But regardless of what you think of it, this thing happened. The evidence is clear. The truth is terrible. Jesus Christ, a man in whom the authorities could find no fault, was nonetheless tried, condemned, beaten, mocked, forced to carry the instrument of his execution through the streets, nailed to a cross, raised to the sky, hung for three hours between two criminals, demonstrated to be dead when a Roman centurion's spear proved it, taken down from the cross and buried. These things happened. It's an amazing story. And we remember it. But we do more than remember it tonight. We also, we must mourn it. We must. Sin caused it. Our sin. The collective sinfulness of all mankind. From the very moment 
that sin entered into our world in Eden. All mankind has been infected with sin, and thus the need for the cross. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. All. Isaiah 53. Our sin. But not just our sin. I and mean, this is important. Not just our sin. My sin caused it. I am a sinner. If nobody else was. Fact is, I am. The Apostle Paul reminded the Christians in Rome that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. There is no fear of God before their eyes, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you're honest with yourself this evening, my friend, you know that those statements apply to you as well. They certainly apply to me. We all as a people and as individuals are infected with sin. We cannot do right without doing wrong. We cannot live for God without living for self, getting in the way. We cannot think holy thoughts without evil thoughts intruding. I can't speak for you, but I can tell you that I can't even pray that most holiest of pursuits, we would think without evil thoughts from time to time, popping in there, stinking thinking. We're rotten to the core, even when we are at our very best. The prophet Isaiah warned that we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. What a story. Amazing is too small of a word, isn't it? How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Yes, we mourn the cross. We mourn it. knowing that it was our sin that caused it and necessitated it and our salvation required it. It is interesting, isn't it, that God chose this particular way, this particular solution. He could have, and I probably would have had I been God, heaved Adam and Eve into hell and started over. But you see, I'm not God. He didn't need to fix their brokenness or heal their disease or redeem them from their enslavement. He could have started over. But he loved them. He loved Adam. He loved Eve. He loves you. And he loves me. And he would not give them up. Nor does he want to give you up. He chose to redeem rather than reject. He chose to save rather than to send away. He chose to heal rather than heap hell upon us. Hence, the blood-drenched cross. And so we mourn it. We mourn that we were its cause, that it was because of us that our lives were saved, but his life was given, that his bloody stripes were the price of our eternal healing, that his death was necessary to bring us life. 
we mourn. Oh, but there's one other perspective that I want us to think about this evening, and that is this. We also celebrate the cross. We can't help but be saddened that our sins required it. But we also cannot help but be gladdened that his love willingly provided it. Praise God for the cross. We celebrate it because it was the only way, and he was willing to do it. Only the cross could end the hostility that existed between fallen man and righteous God. Paul told the Ephesians that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Only the cross could do that. Only the cross could make a way for God's justice and God's mercy to coexist. Paul told the Romans he might be, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Only the cross could do that. And only Jesus could accomplish this work on the cross, for only Jesus had no sin of his own to worry about. Only Jesus. There is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, only Jesus. Anybody else, any one of us, could not have done what he did. For we would first have to deal with our own sin. And we've already seen that we cannot do that. So only the cross, only Jesus, it was the only way. And so we celebrate. And there's another reason that we celebrate tonight. And that is because the cross was and is empty. You know, by this hour on that first Good Friday, Jesus was no doubt no longer on the cross. He'd been taken down from the cross. The body of our Lord had been removed and placed in Joseph's borrowed tomb. The work that was wrought on that cross was done. It was finished once and for all. One man said, I sing my Savior's wondrous death. He conquered when he felt his finished, set his dying breath and shook the gates of hell. And never again, never again will there be a need for death on a cross, for it was done. It is done. And it is done forever. Jesus' death was once for all. The writer to the Hebrews said, This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And the cross upon which he died was empty. And it is empty. It's an amazing story, is it not? Amazing. And even as I say that, I hear that sentence come out of my mouth. I don't like that word story. Because when I say the word story, it almost makes it sound like it could be fictitious. And yet we know it is not. These things happened. They really, really happened. Paul said this was the one thing that we ought to boast about. He said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so I pray it's real to you tonight. I pray it's real to all of us. I I pray that you will respond to it. I pray that the fact that he did all of this for you, all of this for you, I hope it breaks your heart this evening. I know it does mine. Had I never heard this story or responded to it before, I would right now want to call out to Jesus, who did not remain dead, by the way, and we'll find that out on Sunday morning in our Easter service. But I would call out to him and ask for the gift of salvation he died to give.
How about you? The songwriter said, What language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend? For this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end. O make me thine forever, and should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love.